it was perhaps inevitable that the man-made world would one day require a unique woman, a wonder woman. That day has come. You are that unique woman, Diana. You will be the Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman! Wonder Woman! Welcome to Now Playing's Wonder Woman Retrospective Series. The two most exciting words in show business today! Wonder Woman! <laughs> she does have a style. Part of our DC Comics movie review series. No one can stop this mission, least of all a woman. Hosted by Stuart. A man here on our island? Jacob. Do your best, boy. General, I can only do my best. And Arnie. I'm going to have to get accustomed to men and devious women. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Just say it, whatever the language, be honest. Listener discretion is advised. Go in peace, my daughter, and remember that in the world of ordinary mortals, you are a wonder woman. Change their minds and change the world. Today we're discussing the new original Wonder Woman. <laughs> Distance yourself from Kathy Lee Crosby all you can. New, original, different, better, <laughs> everything Wonder Woman. Good news, guys. No one remembers Kathy Lee Crosby, including me. <laughs> Only a year later, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like New Coke Classic. I mean... <laughs> Starring Linda Carter, Lyle Wagner, John Randolph, Red Buttons. Mm. Never thought we'd be talking Red Buttons on this show. And Cloris Leachman, directed by Leonard Horn. This is the now playing co-host filled with wonder, Arnie. Stuart from Paradise Island. In a world of ordinary podcasters, I am a wonder podcaster. This is Jacob. And now we're at the one I think everybody expected. Linda Carter. The thing was... I knew about the Kathy Lee Crosby one. I didn't realize that Linda Carter's Wonder Woman started, like so many of these other superhero things, as a two-hour, or I guess maybe 90-minute TV movie of the week before becoming a regular one-hour series. And this was a gamble. ABC was wanting to get Wonder Woman on the air, obviously, if they tried two pilots. They decided to go back to the classic look of Wonder Woman as she was originally in World War II, and I guess, Jacob, she was back this way by the time the comics rolled around? Well, she wasn't in World War II, but yeah, she was back in the traditional star-spangled bathing suit and had her powers, lasso of truth, everything you'd associate with Wonder Woman. In her satin tights, fighting for our rights, I definitely know the theme song. <laughs> I know this Wonder Woman. I mean, even not a comic book person, never opening a Wonder Woman comic, I definitely, as a kid, this was on television. I don't think I was watching it in primetime. It was probably reruns. 
but I definitely feel like I saw most of this show, including the later seasons where she somehow wound up in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start again. We started in World War II. This is all World War II we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. I watched this as a kid. You know, I watched Incredible Hulk. Wonder Woman was on before. I even had a, I wouldn't call it a poster, but you know, those little magazine pinup things that had Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, but it was comic art doing a twirl. Like she started in her secretary outfit and was twisting and then was full Wonder Woman at the end. I knew this, but I had no idea that when we were discussing this, we were going to be doing a World War II period piece, much <laughs> like next week's Wonder Woman film. The one opening this weekend is actually a World War II film. I had no clue we'd be dealing with something so close. It's 1942 by way of the disco era, though. I do <laughs> feel like all the period details have a touch of the bell bottom to them. <laughs> Yeah, there is one point I'll bring up where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is supposed to be the 40s because everyone is acting like it's the 70s. You'd be surprised. One of the reasons they went to the 70s is because it was too expensive to keep the period costumes and the period accoutrements. So they were trying. But I think the biggest thing by being World War II is Nazis. We're going to go fight Nazis. Yeah, they are going to stick to the original Wonder Woman origin pretty closely here. I, I get, the problem with Wonder Woman in the comics is she doesn't age, but then you have the, Steve Trevor, who's her sidekick or on-again, off-again, relationship, whatever, boyfriend, and he's immortal. So, like, in the comics, they're always retconning stuff, but this is the origin right here, is World War II. I mean, you read that first comic book, th this is going to be pretty close. And I do want to salute this pilot for actually taking the time to tell us what the hell the island was, where she came from. <laughs> yeah, there's a backstory! All the relationships, all the things I complained about not being covered last time. It's no longer than the movie we covered last week, but it's definitely more trying to set up a world and setting up who Wonder Woman is as a superhero. So, Arnie, why don't you set us up? It's 1942, and America is embroiled in the Second World War. Airman Major Steve Trevor, played by Playgirl pinup Lyle Wagner... You guys have that issue? What? He was in the premiere issue of Playgirl. Wow, no. Oh, I know him from the Carol Burnett show, but... You could see his lasso of truth in Playgirl, I guess. <laughs> oh, okay. Steve Trevor is tasked with stopping a Nazi plane that has the capabilities of bombing the American mainland. On the mission, Trevor gets in a dogfight with a Nazi, and both planes are destroyed... Trevor parachutes to safety, landing in the Devil's Triangle in the Caribbean. Not the Bermuda Triangle. I no. guess that's trademark copyright. <laughs> they actually change it later in the season, and they call it the Bermuda Triangle, then they call it the Devil's Triangle again. Perhaps same name? <laughs> tomato, tomato? Devil sounds more sinister. It ends up being a punchline for one of the characters. But he lands on Paradise Island a land populated with super strong, immortal, beautiful women. Their queen, played by Cloris Leachman. <laughs> I don't think you meant that as a joke. She must be immortal because someone's propping her up. <laughs> yeah, okay. I guess I said beautiful women and now I'm talking Cloris Leachman. That's <laughs> uh, one of the whiplashes that I'm having, yeah. <laughs> the queen brought the women to paradise after their enslavement under the Greek and Roman empires and they've lived secluded with no men. But the Queen's daughter Diana, played by Linda Carter, is smitten with Trevor and insists on being his nurse. 
When the queen determines one of their people must take Steve to the mainland, Diana disguises herself to enter the competition for that honor. She wins and is sent to America and given an outfit that makes her Wonder Woman. It will have blue and white stars to honor the country she's visiting. It has a golden belt that will be the source of her power while off the island. She has bracelets that allow her to deflect bullets. And she's given a golden lasso that, when wrapped around someone, forces them to tell the truth. She flies to the States in her invisible plane, and upon arrival, she takes Trevor to a hospital, but finds herself immediately embroiled in the U.S. lifestyle. Her bathing suit-like outfit isn't appropriate in the 1940s. Or today, really. <laughs> it's good for summer, but winter <laughs> is coming. And she has no money or place to live. But she stops a robbery using her bulletproof bracelets, an act witnessed by talent agent Ashley Norman, played by Red Buttons. Norman hires her to do her act on stage. But in fact, Norman is a Nazi spy... <laughs> That didn't become clear until the second time I watched this. <laughs> and he's working with Trevor's secretary, Marsha, also a Nazi spy. There's so many Nazis in America. I don't know why they needed a talent agent with their plot to kill Steve and bomb an American hangar where they're building a new airplane. But they see Wonder Woman as a new threat to Nazi superiority and try to kill her as well. Eventually, Marsha is uncovered, and she and Wonder Woman get in a shoving match. The Wonder Woman wins. But the Nazis are again attempting to bomb America. Wonder Woman takes out the Nazi plane using her invisible jet. And as the episode ends, Steve's superior officer, General Phil Blankenship, played by John Randolph, says he hires the Major a very plain-looking secretary to avoid further Nazi troubles. <laughs> I think that he compares her to, like, a lapdog. Literally, he says lapdog. And that new secretary is Diana Prince, Wonder Woman in her secret identity, now able to watch over the Major more closely as credits roll. And boy, credits. If you want to talk about one of the great TV show themes, the boogie-woogie, the crazy <laughs> lyrics, satin tights, fighting for our rights... Stop a bullet cold, make the axis fold. I gotta love this opening here. We start with some newsreel footage just kind of setting up that Hitler, Mussolini, FDR, Churchill, all the major players of the time. It was 30 years later. I'm sure some people in the audience didn't know. But the real attraction here is the only one that can save us is this comic book character that comes to life. And it's actually a very comic book influenced opening with panels. Yeah, they got all those comic panels. And Stuart, last week you tried to sell me on something that you thought was camp. This tells me right away, this opening song, this just the style here. It, it's telling me, don't take this too seriously. You're just here to have a good time. Now you like this opening song. There's actually four versions of it that would go throughout. Because she didn't make the axis fold in the 70s? <laughs> yes. When they would go to season two and it was modern, they changed the lyrics and re-recorded it. Then they cut a lot of the lyrics midway through season two. Then for season three, they went to a disco instrumental trying to keep up with the times. And if you like the opening theme, we are going to be giving away some CDs, find out some more information at the end of the show. But our friends at La La Land gave us some copies of the three-disc soundtrack to give away. 
But yeah, this one, I've done a deep dive into Wonder Woman watching a ton of episodes recently, had them on all the time. I cannot stop humming this song. I'm glad you're here with the transcription of some of the lyrics because I can't make out some of the words. But yes, I know it's make the axes fold. Lead us out from under Wonder Woman. (laughs) And there's no doubt that this song, in my mind, has a very feminist push. Lead us out from under. This is going to be a show, far more than the Kathy Lee Crosby one, that's going to really wear on its sleeve a political message. Wonder Woman is going to have many diatribes about how the Nazis don't treat women as equals and how important it is that women be empowered, women allowed to step up. I mean, this is coming, as you said last week, on the heels of Gloria Steinem and all that. I think this is really the right message at the right time. And yet, because it's played as camp, are they making fun of the feminist movement? I mean, can we take her seriously? I mean, that's the trouble with camp. I I don't know how much of an icon she can really be if she's wearing those short shorts. But, you know, everything one here is absurd, starting with the Nazis. I had to look it up. Hogan's Heroes was already off the air. (laughs) But it feels like a reunion, right? (laughs) It does, yes. You know what's really funny is you see these Nazis, and there's one Nazi there, Nikolaus. And I'm like, I know Nikolaus. Why do I know him? He's the Chicago Nazi from the Blues Brothers that would come in the early 80s. So he would continue to wear that Nazi uniform. But in chasing Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi across Chicago streets. Oh, yeah. I know him from Robert Altman movies. He has a big part in Nashville. But he's their spy. He's the American's mole in Berlin that's going to, through carrier pigeon, tell all the plans that the Germans are are plotting, including the plot of this episode, that Colonel von Blasco has sanctioned a bombing on U.S. soil, kind of a Pearl Harbor attack, but in Brooklyn, of a Navy base. Von Blasco, played by Kenneth Mars. I knew I recognized this actor. I had to look him up. I don't know if you guys watched Malcolm in the Middle. Yes. He played a German who ran like a dude ranch. Yes, him. And I'm cracking up with his performance here. He is like just the most bored Nazi. But it's totally how he's supposed to be that way. Where Kathy Lee Crosby felt like she was just bored. Like this guy is just so nonchalant. Oh, yes, we're going to bomb the American airbase. Like so blasé about everything. I'm just I really enjoy his performance in this. Almost everyone in this cast, I think, does have a comedic background. Only Linda Carter, who was a Miss USA. I think it was actually Miss World. She was Miss Arizona and then became Miss World. Oh. And she has one of those stories you hear. She went to Hollywood to be a model, took some acting lessons just to try to make ends meet, was down to 25 bucks, about to move out of L.A. when she finally got her big break here. She had bit parts in movies but never really acted before and was cast in the lead here. God knows she is incredibly beautiful. And her acting would get better. I mean, it's when you're doing camp, you don't have to be good. And in fact, the flatter you are, if you're surrounded by comedians, uh, you become the straight man. We don't see her for a while. It's kind of surprising. But the first commercial break comes long before we get to Paradise Island. It's really a show about Steve, a character I barely paid attention to last week. Lyle Wagner, like I said, a regular on Carol Burnett's variety show, here kind of scoffing that he's the only one that can stop this 
German plane. Did they find out about this plot because of the carrier pigeon? Did that fly across the Atlantic? Yes. Or just to like some ally spy, like maybe in in Europe and they telephoned <laughs> it in. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe there was a telegraph or something because that pigeon I don't think could fly the whole way. <laughs> but there's spies and counter spies everywhere. They have Nicholas in the Nazi base. And then, of course, Steve has a secretary, Marsha, here. That is also sending messages back. Later on, General Blankenship is going to say the problem is the secretary was too attractive. I don't know what he's thinking about Marsha. Maybe in the 40s that hairstyle and things were in. I think she's kind of hawkish. Stella Stevens was also doing centerfolds uh, in in Playboy. So oh. they had that in common. They were both doing nude. So she is, to some people, very desirable. Here, it's not a very flattering look. I'll give you that. And she just looks so 70s to me. Again, there are times where I know they try to do period accurate costumes, but yeah, there are times where I forget I'm supposed to be in the 40s. Oh, that hair is totally 40s with the pinup curls and everything. But I was shocked to see John Randolph as General Blankenship. This is an actor I know from a ton of 70s and 80s movies, even the 90s. He was in... Christmas Vacation, You've Got Mail, Frizzy's Honor. This guy's in everything. Comedies again, right? Yeah. Well, Serpico. He was in Serpico with Pacino, but pretty much he's a comedic actor. He wouldn't actually stick around for the series. He'd be recast when it actually gets picked up. He went on to do other stuff. They but... wanted to stop the sexual assault allegations that he's clearly involved with. He's going to handpick all the women that then Steve is going to mess around with. In fact, his first scene is he's walking in on Steve and Marsha when they're making out on the desk and that's sort of the joke that you know he's so loose with the top secret information that she can run home and telegraph to berlin what the allies are planning you said they were on top of each other on the desk i didn't notice that yeah yeah well they were making out i didn't see that it was very quick that's subtle i didn't expect that kind of subtlety here i think the thing weird to understand about steve is he's a really good pilot but his Achilles heel, his weakness, again and again, what gets exploited is that he has something for pretty ladies. And so it's kind of perfect that Wonder Woman is going to step into his life and help him solve his martial problem. And it leads to what? Perhaps the worst dogfight we've ever seen? <laughs> you hear the stories George Lucas when he was trying to map out the dogfights with the X-Wings <laughs> and the Tide Pines. He used World War II footage, but then they covered that up with special effects. They, you know, reshot <laughs> it. Here, they just kept that World War II footage in, that stock footage they found. I mean, it goes black and white at times. Yes, I, yes. I understand using stock footage. I completely get that. But the fact that you can't even keep to color, that you care so little, that you're going to have various plane models and various film types and everything. And what the hell are these facial expressions of the extreme close-ups of the pilots? I am cracking up during that, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're playing it up. I mean, you, you should know by this point that this is a parody. Because if not, you would think this is the worst thing ever been on television. I thought it was the worst thing ever been on television, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. At this point, I'm like, well, this is a red arrow for this dogfight alone. This is completely ridiculous. I can't tell who's fighting who. It goes on way too long, too. This is not a short thing. This is at least 60 to 90 seconds of facial expressions, <laughs> various airplanes. I can't tell who's supposed to be shooting, who's supposed to be winning. And they don't even look that distinct in their headgear 
And then the only time I realize this is comedy is when they're parachuting next to each other and decide to shoot with each other with pistols. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> and the Nazi, of course, he floats down into a shark's mouth. <laughs> Jaws had just opened that summer. So he lands on the island of the negligees. <laughs> that is not appropriate jungle wear, ladies. What? It's just a bunch of women hanging out. Having pillow fights. Yeah, and I think we're forgiven to think in that direction. I mean, you say Greece, the Isle of Lesbos, and Sappho. I mean, I definitely feel like, yeah, this experiment was done back in ancient times, but I don't remember it surviving a thousand years. They're immortal, huh? No magic involved in that? Did the gods do something? Do we know? Yeah, there is magic involved. At least in the comics here, I don't think they really explain it too much. I think you just assume that because, I don't know, Greeks and Zeus... Yeah. I mean, I took it the way here. Something said about if she leaves the island, it puts her, I think, closer to being mortal, maybe? They have to give her a special golden belt that lets her keep her cunning and strength away from the island. So it's something magical about this island that keeps them alive. They did say if she left, she might start to age normally, but here she's immortal. In a later episode... In the 70s, she'll say she's 2,527 years old. So here she's a completely young 2,490-something. And this is kind of cool. I mean, it's very progressive to think of a society that has gotten on completely without men. Again, if they're ageless and they don't need to procreate, then yeah, they can just create their own society and be athletes, intellectuals run hospitals. I wonder what, who are they taking care of if Steve didn't wash up on their shores? Well, you have to figure injuries occur. I mean, later on, one's going to get shot. (laughs) Good point. Yeah, some of these games get a little rough. I do wonder how they know about guns and bullets if they're from a thousand years ago, but. Well, uh, good point. (laughs) There's some stuff here that doesn't quite make sense. and Some. (laughs) They keep Trevor shirtless and blindfolded and linda carter though i mean she is just a vision in that pink gown her sparkling eyes and just her earnestness you know i really believe her to be this completely innocent person when she's begging cloris leachman let me be his nurse yeah She's not comedic. She is the straight woman amongst a bunch of comedic performers. She's not an Adam West, but this still works because she is taking it so seriously. But just the right tone. Maybe it's because Linda Carter didn't really know how to act at this point, but it works for me here what she's doing. I'm going to say the tone for me is a little bit more challenging because last week I was laughing at something. Something that wasn't working very well. Here, they know or they don't have faith in their project to sell it as straightforward comic book action. It's camp. It's a joke. They are thinking about Adam West and indeed the screenwriter of this. He worked on that 66 Batman as well as all the beach party movies with Annette and Frankie and the Monkees TV series. All that stuff had a similar vibe. And here... They're trying to do it, but I feel like I'm watching funny people that haven't been given particularly strong material. Yeah, I wasn't sure this was supposed to be camp. Truthfully, until I watched further into the first season, I didn't quite get it. I got some of it, like when she has to do the talent show and things. I'm like, okay, this has got to be intentional humor. But a lot of times, what's happening 
feels like straight acting that's just going bad like last week's instead of intentional we're in on the joke humor part of it is the style here for me like on this island okay they got to pick someone to take steve back to america so they're going to hold an olympics basically and the winner is going to be able to escort him back and just the way, I don't know, they overlap, like, these games, and it's just, it's not very good. I find it entertaining. Yes, that montage, it's so bad. It has to be camp. It has to be funny. I love that the Olympic Games are stone-throwing, archery, stone-lifting, running like a Baywatch babe. <laughs> I mean, these are the competitions. But you know what really shocked me is, again, I said, I watched that 2009 animated Wonder Woman movie. They do it in there, yeah. Yeah, this is very true to that origin. Now, is this the comic book origin? Because down to putting a disguise on because the Queen Mother said you can't go, and then winning the games. Yeah, that is all just from the comic books. Diane disguising herself because her mom won't let her take Steve back, and she ends up winning and revealing herself. And yeah, this is all just straight from the comic books. So the fact that they're sticking this close to the comic book origin, they're doing it very quickly. And for some reason, Cloris Leachman's playing a harp during some of it. But (laughs) I am enjoying the fact that they are giving us this much background on Paradise Island. And they're setting up some key aspects that we'll see a lot in future episodes. Not that I've seen a whole lot of the Linda Carter Wonder Woman. I watched some of it when I was a kid. But the bullets and bracelets, that is one thing I remember is, you know, blocking bullets. And that's like the main event here is they're going to shoot guns at each other and have to block them. And then you're going to see the lasso. So they, what I appreciate here is they set things up that are going to pay off later. There is some adequate storytelling here. I'm not going to say it's great, but it is adequate, especially compared to last week and the bullets and bracelets i mean wonder woman's bulletproof in the comic right like superman yeah she's invulnerable but they do that thing with the bracelets a lot it's it's just a cool gimmick yeah the costume did go on to win an emmy and i do think (laughs) on some level it deserves it because i actually think linda carter deserves it for being able to wear it you know but it's just great that like it has a tearaway skirt and all of it it's just way too much i'm just thinking betty page but she does kind of look like a pinup girl from the 40s at the same time you could almost see it flying with the way that it features her figure the skirt was actually supposed to be there for certain times but as soon as the abc execs saw that it came off they're like never put that skirt back on we want to see the legs and wonder woman did start with the skirt she had like you know those spandex biker shorts on with stars underneath them in the original comics but yeah then she moved to the bathing suit thing and it was people did it raised some eyebrows because they did feel like it was a pinup comic my only complaint is her corset there is she wearing a diaper (laughs) (laughs) well that that does look like some droopy drawers but i'm looking at the top it looks like two jiffy pop containers on her chest (laughs) like gold jiffy pop i'm a little uncomfortable where this conversation is going but i agree it's not necessarily flattering but it it works in its own ways it's wonder woman man or child would agree this is that character i'm just saying that it looks like gold tinfoil on her boobs i'm not commenting on her figure i'm commenting on the quality of the outfit the other icon in her repertoire is of course the invisible plane I always love the fact that, yes, the plane's invisible, but she and anyone inside it is not. It is hysterical when she's taking him back and he's just flying in the clouds. What about the chair? Her upholstered chair is not invisible. So if you didn't see the plexiglass plane around her, you'd still see this floating chair. 
And that is just in the TV show and the cartoon and the comic. It, she's totally invisible. But again, this is campy. This is funny just seeing these bodies floating there with this bad outline of something that looks like a plane. And the very first shot is every bit as bad as the dog fight, where it literally looks like scratched film in the shape of like a fin. <laughs> later, they close up, but it's like they tried to animate the plane at first. And then later, it's quite clearly a Ken doll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I remember it. Anyway, she's been given, quote, the most difficult sacrifice anyone can make, according to her mother, that she didn't want to let her off the island. This is so dangerous. And we can't not comment on Cloris Leachman's performance here. I mean, this is Cloris Leachman as the Queen Mother. She is eating up every bit of scenery. She is so hammy, and she's taking this performance a little too seriously, I think. She's a comedic actress, but I don't think she's in on the joke here. I think everyone is in on the joke. I mean, I, I believe every single person is trying to give a funny performance. It's the material that's not written in that way. Like Adam West would always, some days you can't get rid of a bomb. I don't feel like there's any lines like that in this movie. But I feel there's performances that equal what he was doing there. But anyway, all she's really doing is dropping Steve off at the VA, right? Or rather a dummy. I mean, there's no reason that she can't just hop a jet right back to the island, except she's fallen in love. She wants to make sure that he heals. Yeah. Yes, because her Amazonian medicine would do that. But she goes outside and... And when she goes outside, this is where I forget that we're in the 40s because everyone seems like pretty nonchalant that she's wearing a swimsuit. And I'm like, oh, yeah, in the 70s, of course, disco. People just walk around in bathing suits, right? Especially out here in L.A., Venice Beach. But in the 40s, I think that would be a little more scandalous. I found it hysterical. She ends up being followed by a troop of sailors. Like, it's a bunch of Navy men in full sailors' outfits walking behind her the whole time. They're, like, stalking her. They're not nonchalant. They're gawking. Yeah, this feels like every pantyhose commercial I ever saw as a child. But <laughs> yeah, she's she ends up in a shop and this woman tries to sell her a, a dress. You need money. Yes, she's learning that this world works on money and fish out of water. You know, loved it as a kid. Played every time. <laughs> Star Trek Four, Crocodile Dundee. But once we got to Thor as an adult... Boy, this stuff doesn't work for me. I gotta say, it's painful. I was thinking about you, Stuart, because I'm like, Wonder Woman, especially with this new movie, I don't know what we're getting next week, but she's gonna be in World War Two. Are they gonna do the Thor thing? Because I feel like she is very similar to Thor, and you can tell a very similar story mm. with the fish-out-of-water thing. Yeah, and she doesn't strike me, Gal Gadot, however athletic and fun she was having, she doesn't strike me as a comedian that can, can make that work. But we'll see. I won't prejudge. I don't think they're going to make her the butt of the jokes, though. The fish out of water thing, you're laughing at the person. I think they're being very careful to make Wonder Woman the hero here. We'll see how it goes, but I don't think we're going to see her be like, what's money? I'll just take this dress. And then going on stage to earn money. But yes, this is her first learning she needs money for a dress and then stopping some convenient robbery on this Warner Brothers back lot that just happens to be occurring with two guys who are more than happy to try to shoot this bathing suit clad woman in cold blood. 
starts a few running jokes here, including the cops want her to fill out forms. She feels she's the victim, even though she's the one that stopped the robbery. She has to do more work. I thought that was a pretty good joke. I laughed at that one. As an adult, no. I can't say that I'm loving all of this stuff. And and that's sad because I sat down to watch this with my mom and she had positive memories of this 70s show. I did too. And we're both feeling at this point, look, she's wandering away. She actually says, okay, I'm done. And I'm wondering... How are they going to sustain this for the next 35 minutes? She's going to become a carnival act. Yeah, Red Buttons wasn't the answer I was looking for. (laughs) Red Buttons is an actor whose name I know. I don't really know him. The stuff he did, I avoided. I feel like I only know him from, like, when I was a kid and, like, Time Warner Video would play, like, the best of Red Button Collection. You get a tape every month for $9.95. He did a stint on ER that was actually really (laughs) emotional. What? Yeah, in, like, one of the early seasons, he was uh, the husband of a dying patient under the care of Noah Wilde. But other than that, I don't know this actor. (laughs) I got him confused. I was actually happy. I thought it was going to be soupy sales. And, <laughs> you know, buttons, suits. I, I didn't I got my comedians mixed up. But yeah, he had actually won an Oscar. He had been a stand-up comedian that was in the early days of TV and then had transitioned to movies and had done some serious work. But I do think his bread and butter is to play this kind of character, a gregarious, boorish. It's a parody of Hollywood and the people that prey upon people that want to get into the entertainment industry. He represents what? Dwarf? Dwarves, dogs, and daredevils. So she fits right into his catalog. And Nazis. I feel like this whole (laughs) thing is a setup when she does this act. We see Marsha in the crowd, so that's one giveaway. But the fact that... Again, Stuart, I can't believe you're not laughing at this when this granny gets up and she's like, I want to use my own gun. This was a Johnny Dangerously moment to me. The granny with the Gatlin. That was what I was thinking. And I know you guys don't like Johnny Dangerously, but I do. And when I guess it was Marsha's mom comes up to try to do the bullets and bracelets. I don't know this gun, but I have a gun I am comfortable with. It is this total Al Capone machine gun. Yeah, yeah Tommy gun. <laughs> that is hysterical to me. And I think that maybe she'll get through. I don't know Wonder Woman's powers. Could she deflect that many bullets? The answer is yes. Yeah, Wonder Woman is not afraid. She can do it all. And so, yeah, we're not worried for her. The only thing that's transpiring here is that she's starting to connect that Marsha, who is with the woman with the gun and who works for Steve, may not be on the up and up. Which is a huge logical leap given that Wonder Woman just arrived in the States. How does she really know Marsha? She dropped Steve off at a hospital. She's been going undercover as a nurse. So she saw the general and saw Marsha, but it feels like there's a bit of a leap that she would notice Marsha in the audience right there and start putting this all together. It also feels like there's Nazi spies everywhere, but we don't know Red Button's Ashley is going to be a Nazi spy until after the performance, he's splitting the money 50-50 and Wonder Woman's like, no, I'm not taking the show on the road. Ashley pulls a gun. I'm like, I just watched last week's movie. I thought he was going all like George. And if you won't do the show for more, I'm going to kill you and take all the money. (laughs) Next time he should try pointing it at her head. It's a very (laughs) awkward scene. And again, I thought that this was a joke on pushy agents. There was a line. They, They set it up, but I had to watch this twice to see it. Marsha calls someone in a hotel in New York 
named Carl, and Ashley is actually Carl. I just don't know. Is he an agent? Now, now I'm wondering, is he a full-time Nazi that pretends to be a Hollywood agent, or is he a, a Hollywood agent that moonlights as an SS officer? <laughs> yeah, because he goes full-on Nazi at this point, too, and starts participating in kidnapping schemes and all in a silly way though i mean like he's always it's always a punchline he hangs up the phone before saying heil hitler and then he'll pick it up to try and make up and everyone is being broad here and hilarious i mean i'm glad you guys are having a good time i feel it's forced whereas i was genuinely laughing last week at the movie this time that is trying to do it tongue-in-cheek trying to be so clever it's not as funny as I want it to be. You're misreading me. I'm not really finding this that funny. I understand that it's attempting humor sometimes, but more than anything, I'm not finding the tone of this to fit right at all. There's not enough Wonder Woman action. There's not enough obvious humor. It's not playing as Batman camp to me. Let's keep in mind, I'm the one who didn't like the Batman 66 movie also. Yeah, and I'm starting to feel solidarity. I disagreed with you strongly <laughs> back then, but now... I'm having a similar experience. I like Batman 66, and this is not as good as Batman 66, but I'm entertained. There's a couple of chuckles. I think Linda Carter, she makes a presence. Like, mm -hmm. uh, this is a person I want to see more as Wonder Woman. So, to me, that's working, that I'm engaged in a performance, that I, I'm not bored, that I'm chuckling. This isn't the greatest thing in the world. It's maybe new. It's not totally original, though, but I like this Wonder Woman. And I like when she does the spin, you know? Mm. We get the big spin. It's, a in this one, a slow motion. The hair falls. She spins around. And then she's stuck holding her old clothes. They'll change that later on, and the clothes just... <laughs> disappear here she's now like okay where do i put these other clothes i don't know if you notice this she does this there's this whole plot where trevor is supposed to get on another plane and he gets kidnapped there's a taxi driver did you just recognize that taxi driver nah. yes i did <laughs> and ramsey i couldn't believe it i had to look it up i'm like i know that voice is that mama from throw mama from the train <laughs> And Goonies. Yep, Mama Fertelli. That was Anne Ramsey. And of course, let's not forget Deadly Friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Basketball to the face. She's 10 years away from that here. So this is what? Double platinum headphones for Anne Ramsey? <laughs> yeah, Steve, I, I wonder if it changes in the show, but it, it does feel like a band that is constantly getting knocked out and being decommissioned. And he really spends the whole episode just lying down i mean he briefly got up to say i'm going to get back in the plane but that was foiled and now he's going to be kidnapped in the kitchen i feel like he needs the woman to save him it's a role reversal yeah it's it's not progressive where there's an equality there but it is showing a woman in the strong position and the man as the damsel in distress Oh, I'm not offended. Yeah, I mean, it, it's fine. It just, it can't be a fun role to play. I do think about Benjamin Bratt. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, <laughs> damn, I am just castrated. Yeah, and they give him truth serum, so he has to act all goofy and silly while he's blindfolded in the kitchen. But where I really finally realized this isn't going to give me the superhero stuff I want is when Marsha goes back to the office to get some more material about this plane... Marsha the judo champ? <laughs> oh, that was good. That was a good genuine laugh, I must admit, yes. And Wonder Woman interrupts her, and I'm like, okay, here we go. Here we get our superhero versus supervillain fight. <laughs> it's a shoving match. It's a cat fight. You're saying it doesn't compare with a Hulk bust up the set? No, it does not. Wonder Woman does not go through any walls. In fact, 
It turns out the producers of Dallas actually kept this tape around to show their actresses when they wanted to have cat fights on the set <laughs> to be more like this. Hey, it's better than that fight with Angela. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are no javelins being utilized. And, you know, they're breaking chairs. They're swinging from chandeliers. The only thing is it's, you know, unfortunately, I don't know how much these girls are really doing the work. I think that a lot of times they have these weird overhead angles where it goes to the stunt people and you can't really see linda carter doing it yeah i noticed that certain times other times they do close-ups though of them hanging off the lights so there's some interesting editing there but she, wonder woman does get one hysterical punch in she completely obviously isn't hitting the actress playing Marsha. but then linda carter just has to stand there with fist extended while Marsha like goes through a door and down a hall and wonder woman isn't putting her fist down at all like she's using the force or something it was really bad i enjoyed this fight but it did come a little too late i wonder is much of the series about her fighting other women i didn't know how comfortable they would be with yeah like a man trying to take a swipe at her and indeed later when she hijacks Blasco's plane the the German is finally coming up from South America I thought he was in Berlin you mean when she lands on top of his plane with her invisible one and climbs down yeah exactly but anyway she takes care of him relatively quickly and flies the plane into the waiting u-boat and solves all the problems far too easily but the real fight is yeah this girl on girl stuff yeah, I did laugh at the invisible plane on top of the, I don't know, was that the Red Baron's plane from World War One? <laughs> with the, It almost looked like it, only it wasn't a biplane. And yeah, I don't know how she just landed in the other airplane. I don't think that they have hatches on top for docking like that. This isn't the Enterprise where you can just come down to Jeffrey's tube. It was a new plane. That's the whole point. He, it was hot off the presses. So <laughs> I think that, that, you know, they just learned from that. They'll never do that again. They'll never have that hookup. <laughs> And did she kill him? Because she, no. no, she gives him to the cops, the ones that always wanted to fill out paperwork. That's right. But when she's in her invisible plane, I didn't see him. And she crashes his plane into the U-boat. So I thought she left him knocked out on the plane to crash into the U-boat. No, just the Germans in the U-boat died. <laughs> and because she's a great mimic, she actually could call the people that were holding <laughs> Steve and have them wait to kill him until she got there. Yes, I did not know she had the superpower of impersonations when she uses Marsha's voice perfectly. She's the rich little of DC Comics. <laughs> but yeah, then I always love it when you say something like Sandra Bullock's the ugly one in the relationship of the romantic comedy and things. And so here, yes, his new ugly secretary, Diana Prince. And it's the Clark Kent disguise, right? She's got dowdy hair and glasses. Yeah, she's going to stay in his life. That, you know, she rescued Steve. He's healthy now. There's really no reason to stay in America. Maybe she needs money for gas to gas the plane to go <laughs> home. I don't know. But yeah, she's going to work for him as a secretary. And yeah, because she's put her hair up, that means she's ugly. Yeah, Steve doesn't recognize her. This is the woman that saved his life that he's smitten with, probably because she's been running around in a bathing suit the whole time. And yeah, put your hair in a bun and some glasses and totally different person. And of course, maybe part of it is, is he's not even looking at her. He's thinking about Wonder Woman. He's so in love with Wonder Woman. He wants to write her a letter. I don't know where is he going to mail it, <laughs> but she's going to transcribe it. And of course, I think that's sexual chemistry that they're going to play with the whole series. I don't think they ever get together, do they, Arnie? We'll talk about where the series goes in a little bit. It goes 
interesting places, but that is something they play with at least this first season while Steve Trevor Sr. is here. Mm, okay. But yeah, it's playing with that Lois Lane, Clark Kent romantic here in reverse. and But she's his subordinate, but he's, yeah, in love with Wonder Woman. And unlike last week, he won't be sending her on missions. Her dentist appointments aren't doubling for French hotel fights. <laughs> So before we get to the rest of what happened in Wonder Woman the series, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend the new original Wonder Woman? Jacob. You know, again, with these TV things, uh, I kind of grade them on would I come back to watch the series? And yeah, this, I would come back. I like Linda Carter here. She's got presence. I like this vibe. I don't remember the World War II stuff. The, The episodes I remember were all the 70s ones, so I don't know if they keep this vibe up when they're in the 40s, but I I do like the camp here. It's not Batman 66. It is a a, a different vibe. The jokes aren't as well crafted, but I found this entertaining. I wasn't watching the clock like I did with, I guess, the not original Wonder Woman, the old (laughs) non-original one with Kathy Lee Crosby. But yeah, this one, I can see why this went on for three seasons. So yeah, that's a recommend. Stuart. Here's the thing. I definitely recommend that people check out this incarnation. It's iconic. You got to see Linda Carter in this outfit, doing the stunts, spinning around, throwing the lasso of truth. Yeah, it's she's a big part of superheroes in TV and film. But is this the one to watch? I don't know. I thought I was game for it. I was really excited to return. I thought it was going to be campy and fun. I When I saw the cast list, I was just over the moon with the idea of Cloris Leachman and Red Buttons all going to be there to provide comic assist. But it's just not that funny. I mean, just the bottom line is this goes on a little bit too long with not enough laughs. And so, honestly, if, if you threw the lasso of truth on me, I'd have to admit that I didn't really enjoy this. So I gotta say Red Arrow, even though I do feel like Wonder Woman, Linda Carter, is something everyone should see. And that's where I'm at. I'm with Jacob in that watching this, I would come back and watch the series. I would see Linda Carter here, and I did. And I'll be like, I'm with Stuart. I didn't really enjoy this episode, but I'm with Jacob that I would come back next week to try again and see where it went. Or in this case, come back six months later when they finally return to the air with a one-hour special. So I don't know what that gives me as a recommender or not, and where I'm going to come down is I really thought hard about that other TV stuff we did review. The Incredible Mm. Hulk stuff. Red Brown. Yeah, the Captain America, Dead Too Soon, the Spider-Man Deadly Dust episode. This is better than almost all of the Marvel movies we covered. So I'm going to give it a green arrow. I would come back for the series, and I'm just grading on a really strong curve. Like, I remember an algebra test I took in high school where I got the highest grade at an 80, but the second highest grade was a 58%, and so the entire curve was graded on the 58% as the A. So that's the kind of curve I'm grading on, and that gives this a, a mild green arrow. But... I did watch a smattering of episodes, mostly first season, but a couple second, a couple third to see where it went. The entire first season, they did change the cast up a little bit. Like I said, General Blankenship changed, but it was almost every week a new Nazi spy and a new (laughs) aerial mission. 
but Steve did become a better person. It was like he had his heroic things to do, but when he was outnumbered or there was just too many things going on, Wonder Woman came to the aid, but he was not the sir in distress the entire time. I felt like they really had a good balance. Okay. They had a good romantic chemistry. It really got interesting when Deborah Winger showed up as Wonder Girl. What? <laughs> For three episodes, and I had to watch all three, including Wonder Woman Goes to Hollywood. <laughs> Deborah Winger. Huh. So she was the Robin to her Batman. You want some fish out of water stuff. You should see Deborah Winger as the younger sister Drusilla, despite the fact that in this episode, Cloris Leachman said, You're my only daughter to Diana. There's a younger daughter who comes, who's supposedly a teenager, who gets confused by teenage slang. Somebody says, you can really cut a rug. And she goes, and I can dance, too. Oh. <laughs> okay, that is Thor-level fish-out-of-water stuff. Yeah, did she pull out scissors? Uh, yeah, okay. And she does the spinning move and becomes Wonder Girl, and people get confused, thinking they're the same. And Nazis, including Nightmare on Elm Street's John Saxon, invade Paradise Island. So... Deborah Winger is truly abysmal. Mm, I can't imagine her doing well in that material, no. And she does not look as comfortable as Linda Carter in the outfit, but it's worth seeing. But at the end of season one, ABC, they didn't cancel it, but it was what they call on the bubble. They weren't sure. It was really expensive being a period piece, despite us all agreeing we sometimes forgot it was the 40s except for the Nazis. They also felt like the Nazi bad guys were played out. So ABC didn't know. And it's been two years since the pilot now. They did the pilot. Then in the spring, they did two episodes. Then the next season, they brought it back for like 11 more episodes. Three years if you count Kathy Lee Crosby. Yeah. I'm not. (laughs) So while ABC was making up their mind, Warner Brothers ended up making a deal with CBS, which would become the superhero station with Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman and Hulk and all this going on, Spider-Man, Captain America. And the deal was to cut costs. They'd modernize it to the 70s. They got rid of the entire cast, except for Lyle Wagner and Linda Carter. Hmm. Does he pull a Captain America, get frozen in time for a while? You know, I really had to question whether or not we have to cover the season two premiere, the CBS premiere, because that was also a 90-minute movie, but it aired as an episode. So I think we're in that Incredible Hulk married thing, where it's an episode, but it was a double episode. Plus, people want to hear about Gal Gadot. They don't want to hear more about this. (laughs) But at the end of the first season, Linda Carter's Wonder Woman with Wonder Girl did say she was going back home for a party, but she'd be back in a few days. It turns out she'd be back in about 35 years. Hmm, That's a good party. When the second season picks up, she's been living on Paradise Island again for a long time. The war is over. But now there's all these spies and it becomes very sci-fi and terrorism, not like 21st century terrorism, but back then like Libyan plane snatching terrorism. Patty Hearst stuff, sure. So she feels the world needs Wonder Woman again. And she encounters Steve Trevor Jr., played by Lyle Wagner. Ah, yeah, I didn't think he left the show. Okay. So he just has a son that really looks like him. Who's the mother? They never really say. It's obviously not Wonder Woman. Okay. And judging by the age, it seems like he was perhaps born when she knew Steve Trevor Sr. Hmm. Or at least around that same time. 
But they do at that point then remove the romantic chemistry because the producers said these TV shows never work if you play this out too long anyway, because if you consummate it, it kills the show. So she was far more platonic with Steve Trevor Jr., who did eventually become like her boss. They did kind of go the Kathy Lee Crosby way where he'd start sending her out on missions and things because now she worked for a spy agency as his subordinate, but not as a secretary. So she was a spy, but then she'd get in these situations and also have to turn into Wonder Woman. The season two pilot is hysterical where she's fighting a robotic fencing machine. I think I remember that. Or no, I remember Bionic Woman fighting a machine from Mars. Never mind. They did up the sound effects too to compete with Bionic Woman. Now when Wonder Woman jumped, they'd add the sound effects. I thought she had that. Yes, I knew that Bionic Woman didn't have the, the monopoly on sound effects and jumping. <laughs> and also they changed to a thunderbolt when she'd change into her outfit. They added a lot more sound effects to Wonder Woman as it went on. But they never changed the outfit, huh? Well, they tweaked it a little bit. Actually, the season two outfit's more revealing. They decided they needed to show a little bit more cleavage and a little oh. bit more butt. Oh, well, sure. Yeah, it's so modest before. <laughs> They decided to play to Linda Carter's strengths, is what the costume designer said. Mm, He had an Emmy to show (laughs) for it. (laughs) And then season three, it's kind of started to fall apart. They were playing to kids. They were using a disco theme. Lyle Wagner was barely part of it. The show, it stalled. Okay. Deborah Winger never came back. Oh, well, there's the death now. Apparently, <laughs> according to Wiki, take it for what it's worth, they were planning a Wonder Girl spinoff show, and Deborah Winger broke her contract, and so that didn't come to fruition. <laughs> Otherwise, we might have had an extra week. This week, we're discussing Wonder Girl, starring Deborah Winger. <laughs> I will say, if you want to see what Wonder Woman can be, well, maybe we'll see that next week with Gal Gadot. In 2009... DC with all their animated movies they didn't have a whole lot out by them but they did do a Wonder Woman one and I think it's pretty good it's not amazing but it's entertaining it's got the Thor stuff with all the mythology it's Lord of the Rings with all kind of demonic beasts coming up and it's got this basic origin story here it's a pretty good and that's about 75 80 minutes too so you can stop giving Kathy Lee Crosby a pass for not having a backstory you can do it in 70 minutes I went and watched that I taped it HBO was doing all the DC animated stuff so it was sitting on my TiVo. I decided I should familiarize myself with comic Wonder Woman. I've been enjoying some of the DC animated stuff. Killing Joke, Dark Knight Returns, the Suicide Squad one they did. I've been enjoying this. Yeah, this was an earlier one, though, before all those adaptations. Mm-hmm, yeah, and I didn't really like it. I thought it was really dull. It was her versus the god Ares, and I just did not get into it at all. I can't say I enjoyed it. I... Give it a pretty solid not recommend. Oh, I, I like it. Gail Simone had a hand in writing it. She did a good run on the Wonder Woman comics. I, it's a bit more sex positive there. <laughs> like When she's suiting up, like there is definitely like a bustier shot where she's tucking those things in to that <laughs> corset. And Steve with the lasso of truth is forced to comment on her rack. And I did find that funny. Here's the problem I had with it. Nathan Fillion from Firefly voices Steve Trevor in it. And I thought he did a pretty good job. I mean, he's usually good at smarmy. And so to have this kind of, not pervy, but uh, very sexually forward Steve Trevor worked. But Carrie Russell, Felicity was Wonder (laughs) Woman. Her voice acting was so flat. 
I will agree with that. That's all her acting. I saw her for three years on The Americans and finally gave up because I'm just like, she is never going to emote. That was the big mystery. I'm like, will she ever show emotion? No. Yeah, I just did not like the voice performance. It turned me off so significantly. If you had had somebody else's Wonder Woman, I might have given this a go. But I just couldn't get into it because every line she gave thudded. Well, then... What about 2011, where there was an unaired Wonder Woman pilot? Uh, I did get my hands on it by some kind of means and watched it. Oh, yeah. I remember, yeah, this was going to be a big launch of the fall. They talked about this a lot. It was a big TV producer behind it. David E. Kelly, you know him. Yeah, you like this guy, Arnie. You're always picket fences, Ally McBeal. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he is a big deal. Okay, I don't know why, because what I saw in this Wonder <laughs> Woman pilot, and I'm not even going to comment on the production values, because it wasn't even finished. There's wires that weren't erased. So I'm putting all that stuff aside. I did love watching it where there were little subtitles that said visual effects here. Yes. <laughs> and there's times where they've, like, added a voiceover because they changed the line, but it's obviously not Wonder Woman's voice. It's someone totally different. But no, Stuart, you didn't watch this. So imagine, if you will, Wonder Woman as Iron Man. She is out in the open that she is Wonder Woman and also Diana Prince and runs her own company where they sell Barbie dolls of Wonder Woman Hmm. so she could fund her crime fighting. And then mix that with like uh, 24 where (laughs) we're just going to use torture. We don't care. Like there are times where Wonder Woman rolls her eyes when someone's lecturing her like on on human rights and civil rights. (laughs) Wow. She has a lasso of truth and she interrogates a guy by breaking his bones. She just doesn't put the lasso on him. It is (laughs) mind bogglingly bad. At one point she throws like a, a metal pipe through like a security guard's throat. Wow. It's way too violent. And the whole whole climax is she finally figures out what she's going to put on her Facebook profile. That is the big mystery (laughs) for the episode. Very contemporary. Okay, let me give a counter to this. You can't justify this pilot, Hardy, I dare you. Oh no, it sucks. (laughs) I mean... I knew exactly what we were dealing with when she's discussing the Barbie doll and said, I didn't give you the rights to merchandise my tits. And that's a direct quote, including. But it stars Adrian Pilecki, who I know from many seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where she played Mockingbird. We discussed her in G.I. Joe Retaliation. She does decent action. She did very good stunts here. But this is David E. Kelly. What is David E. Kelly? He's a former lawyer, and he's known for writing, honestly, female-centric primetime soaps like Ally McBeal and some seasons of L.A. Law and things. And so what you have is, yes, she is running a company as Diana Prince, but she also has a secret identity because she wants her own life, but she has no friends in the secret identity. And you forgot to mention, it's Carrie Elways as her assistant. Yes. Oh, Princess Bride. Uh-huh. And Saw, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or the fact she doesn't have an invisible plane, but she has these like little mini jets that can land on the roof of a build. Like, it is bizarre. But the whole thing is her relationship drama. She's lonely. She left her boyfriend when she decided to move to L.A. and become Wonder Woman because she felt like she'd be putting anyone in her life at risk. It's very Alan McBeal. He shows up at the end of the episode, and she's like, oh, you're back. And he's married, just like Billy was in Allie McBeal when they reunited, if you know that show. 
I don't have a problem with the violence. I really don't. I mean, it's a primetime show. Go ahead. Let Wonder Woman kill some people. It was shocking, but they were trying to kill her. It was self-defense. It's the fact that she rolls her eyes when like people are talking about civil rights to her. Well, this is David E. Kelly. There's a lot of law. She has to meet with a senator. The big question is, what about search and seizure? What about the Fifth Amendment. Is she working with the police? Is her operations legally sanctioned? She has to deal with courts and lawyers and senators to all deal with this. This is Kelly bringing his legalese. However, NBC was really smart to pass on this because yeah. this was terrible. I've watched the new Supergirl. I really like the new Supergirl. I see hints of Supergirl in this. Like Supergirl also has some of that relationship, female mm. friendship, personal drama going on but it is so much better than this where it feels really like you're channel flipping between the old 80s superboy syndicated show and then more melodramatic episodes of picket fences yeah i think it's always a struggle for writers and again it always seems to be male writers that are writing these things they're trying to tell women's stories they want it to be more than just they're a superhero it's that they're a woman that's a superhero and finding that balance between your rote action and that female dynamic always seems to trip them up. Yeah, from Supergirl, Catwoman, they try to take on feminist themes and they end up making it look absurd. And they did try to bring her into Smallville, but you talk about male directors doing female things. They weren't allowed to because Joss Whedon had been trying to develop a Wonder Woman movie for years and it was just stuck in development hell but if anybody could do it joss whedon seems like the one right he did buffy so that right there gives him the cred to bring a kick-ass woman we saw what he did with black widow taking her from this horrible character in iron man 2 to perhaps my favorite character in the avengers movie so he could have done it but it never happened we're finally getting it this weekend with gal gadot and now they say joss whedon's gonna make a batgirl film I guess he'll only do women. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, we need this to work, right? I mean, I do feel like this is an unexplored area in either Marvel or DC. This is a chance for DC to get ahead in some way of Marvel. As if they can make a female superhero that can carry an entire film, they will really have done a great service to female actresses and the genre. And I also feel after a, a lot of the critics and fans' views of Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman and even Man of Steel, like, they gotta have something that people generally like. Because I don't <laughs> think anyone generally likes those other ones. There, there's people, like, I like some of them. I think I recommended all of them. But, like, they're not my favorites. I can see why people don't like them. They need a strong entry. DC Universe... Uh, is got to pull it together. They need to get better, and maybe it starts here. Is this the one right before Justice League? It is. Yeah, this is the last. So it's got to be good. Yeah, it's got to be strong. You hope, and we will see. I'm crossing my fingers that it's going to be the best DC movie universe film yet, which, again, low bar. Yeah. <laughs> I've recommended all of them, but I don't really feel good about it. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. <laughs> so that is next week. In the meantime, this Friday for our donors, Silver Level or on Podbean, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. It opened this past weekend. Our review will be out this Friday. 
And now peaking, we're keeping that going. The Showtime series continues to air, and we continue to do that. You can get these episodes at nowplayingpodcast forward slash donate, or for now peaking, go to nowpeakingpodcast.com. We appreciate and need your support to keep this going, and thank you so much to everyone who's donated. And we mentioned we're going to be giving away some copies of the Wonder Woman soundtrack. We're going to be doing this through our Facebook page. All right. Is it CD, LP? CD. Oh, okay. All right. I have one of those. I was worried. I didn't. I don't have a record player, but it's a pretty funky theme. If you like our Facebook page, we're going to make a post about Wonder Woman that's going to say, like it, comment on it. And from those likes and comments, six people are going to be selected. Thanks to La La Land, we're giving away six copies of this. Three disc Wonder Woman score. It's covering all three seasons of the show. It's got all the music from this pilot movie. It's got multiple versions of the theme like we talked about on the show. It's kind of cool. Also, I'm going to have a bonus podcast coming out in a couple of days where I talk with Neil Bulk, the producer of that soundtrack, If you're a soundtrack and score geek like I am, you definitely want to listen to this because I got really geeky. Like, what does a soundtrack producer do with music that's 30 years old? What is your job? And what was it like to try to dig up all this music? It's about a 15-minute conversation I had a lot of fun doing. So that'll be posted to now playing this Thursday. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me for this episode of Now Playing. We'll change your mind and change the world. There's deep sadness in having you leave us, but there's also joy, the hope that your presence in the world of man will open closed eyes to the genuine value of women, that you'll never lose, the sensitivity that is our real strength. You carry with you our love. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Wonder Woman Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You did a beautiful job, gentlemen. The bar is open. Why don't you have a drink? You deserve it. Be sure to go to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the DC Comics movies, including Batman, The Dark Knight, Man of Steel, the entire Superman series, Catwoman, Watchmen, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and much more. What's your story, lady? Story? Well, I know a few myths, but... Oh, a joker, huh? You can also find reviews of other comic-based movies like The Avengers, Spider-Man, Hellboy, Men in Black, Kick-Ass, Howard the Duck, and Kingsman. Violence and mayhem. That's so gosh. For more movie review podcasts, visit the nowplayingpodcast.com archives. There you'll find hundreds of film reviews, including Die Hard, the Jason Bourne series, the James Bond films, Machete, Blade Runner, and more. And come back each week for another new movie review. We'll be together again soon. Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. For our podcast's 10th anniversary, we have released over 150 donation podcasts through our Podbean page. 
Available there are series like The Matrix, The Quentin Tarantino Films, Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Aliens, and Pirates of the Caribbean. Links to our Podbean page are available from nowplayingpodcast.com. How much? Name your own price. Fifty. You're on. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews, including Hook and The Warriors. That seems fair. If this was a normal business transaction, Mr. Smith, it would be. You can also donate to us directly using PayPal. Details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Well, apparently I do need money to survive here. And lots of it. Do you know that a good steak dinner costs over a dollar these days? It's disgusting. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. Some things in this world worth learning to like. Want to take part in the discussion? Join the Now Playing hosts at our forums, where you and other listeners can give your thoughts on this movie review. The links to our forums are at nowplayingpodcast.com. Shall I pick you up? I brought your trunk. That's very thoughtful, George, but I'd just as soon meet you there. Try not to be late. You can also follow Now Playing on Google+, Facebook, and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests where you can win movies and soundtracks. I sincerely wish we might have spent more time together. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Are you kidding? You are the greatest... Now Playing's Wonder Woman series is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Genuine American hero. Now Playing's Wonder Woman series is edited by Arnie, David, and Heath. You realize the task you have chosen is the most difficult sacrifice any person can make. Now Playing's Wonder Woman series credit narration by Brock. I haven't the slightest idea what you're talking about. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the Wonder Woman films or TV series. Now Playing is an independent review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of these films or soundtracks. All audio clips and music used are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. You've had a very long and dry trip. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. But surely, some men can be trusted. Now Playing is a Inganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Inganza Media Incorporated. Wonder Woman, I love you.
guy is just so nonchalant. And, oh, yes, we're going to bomb the American airbase. Like, he's so blasé about everything. I'm just, I really enjoy his performance in this. Was this the same actor who was also, like, the guidance counselor in Parker Lewis Can't Lose? Oh, I would, uh... I mean... You would know that more than us, Arnie. Okay, I guess it's not. I, <laughs> I know there was a Malcolm in the Middle guy who was also in Parker Lewis, but it's not him. Okay. Uh, what year was... Oh, it's not? Okay, I was just looking it up. It was in the 90s. I, I finally got to his page. He yeah. has a long history doing comedy. Yeah. He's in the Weird Science TV show. <laughs> oh, wow. The TV show. But I did get inspired from this because of Now Peaking and Pirates. You're writing reviews for all of them, just like the Hulk, right? <laughs> Whole other website. We're going to do it. Wonder site. <laughs> We're joining us on Thursday, right? Now wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering what the hell you're going to say next, because I ain't doing it. For 99 cents an episode. No. 